Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Hello. Hi, Patrick McEnroe here. Time for a little Holding Court, and uh, very happy to be joined by Mr. Buck Sexton today, who hosts his own radio show, a very successful one at that. Actually makes a living doing uh, radio and podcasting, which maybe one day I'll be able to do, but I appreciate you joining me, Buck. Um, I know you're busy, and I know uh, you got a lot going on, including your TV show as well. So why don't you just tell my listeners a little bit about what you would like to discuss as far as your own shows go. I know you have a show on iHeartRadio, The Clay and Buck Show. That's every day of the week from 12 to 3. But what else would you like them to know before we get into some sports and politics? Well, I think that I could credibly say that I'm probably a solid USTA 3.5, maybe a 4.0. Okay. Maybe a 4.0 on a good day. Okay, that's good. And uh, so I grew up playing a bit. Uh, Tennis is my... My favorite sport, um, I wish I had had more training younger to have made more of a go of it, but I enjoy it socially. Um, and, I, and I'm honored to be joining you on your show as I have heard uh, the, the dulcet tones of the McEnroe voice for many, <laughs> many a match. So yeah. thank you for, uh, you know, for all of that. You do a great job. Well, thanks. And uh, you actually liked something that I uh, tweeted on uh, Twitter. I think it was right after Wimbledon. And I noticed it because I follow you and you've got a huge amount of followers, almost 800,000 because of your expertise in the world of politics and so on. So I reached out to you. Uh, My question to you is is the one I'll start with, which relates to Novak Djokovic. Uh, I think I knew the answer when I sent it to you. uh, But a lot of people, it's becoming... uh, uh, more apparent that a lot of people think that uh, he should be allowed into the country to play in the U.S. Open. As of now, of course, he won't be allowed um, because uh, he was has not been vaccinated. So tell me your take on that situation, please. Look, I think it's madness. I think it, it, it is completely inexplicable. And, and my understanding is that this is a, a federal government issue and not a USTA-specific one. So this does squarely, you know, fall in the realm of government policy that is that is affecting uh, uh, sport. And and I just say this: um, the vaccines as a mechanism. So so we got to go back to the beginning because I know, especially yep. with, with your audience, you're going to have people. And if they look me up, yeah, I do a radio show. I've also been one of the longest standing critics of Dr. Anthony Fauci, right. of lockdowns, of all of this. Just so everyone knows where I come from on mm-hmm. it. Um, but I did, I got vaccinated, uh, my parents, my whole family, I advocated for them to get vaccinated. I was a, I was willing to believe in the, uh, power of the vaccines to be as effective, uh, early on as we were all told. Right. Um, that obviously turned out to not be true. Uh, the vaccines need multiple boosters, which was not initially anticipated. And more importantly for the conversation as it pertains to Novak Djokovic, they really pushed this as a mandate under the promise or rather with the understanding that it would help prevent infection and spread. Mm -hmm. So this took it out of the realm of it's my choice. There I say my body, my choice. It's my risk factor to assess just as it is with flu vaccines every year, right? Just as it is with, with other decisions to, you are a risk to public health if you don't get the vaccine, because if you do get it, you can't spread it. That is not true. That is mm-hmm. just whole, and, and, and no one even argues with me on that point anymore. Fauci says it. Everyone says it. It's not the case that it stops uh, infection and spread. 
So the basis for any kind of restriction on non-citizens coming into America as some kind of a greater health threat um, is completely ridiculous. I mean, it, it doesn't exist anymore. And I just think that it's, uh, it's, I give a lot of credit to Novak Djokovic for standing, standing behind his principles on this one and, and standing, standing strong because that's the kind of, uh, he has a kind of profile where you, you might get enough attention on this issue where I can get people to finally agree this policy makes no sense. It makes no sense. Let me, let me ask you this, because I, I, there's not a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, that you said there that I disagree with, uh, but let's go back to the beginning. Uh, do you think that we all would have been better served if they called this uh, vaccine from Pfizer, Moderna, Moderna et cetera, uh, like a, called it a shot? In other words, if they'd said, this is a shot that's going to that's gonna help you know, control the virus, or at least, I mean, it does appear that it does help people not get extremely sick. I mean, the hospitalizations are down, the deaths in the, this country are down. I've been to various countries in the last couple of years, and certainly, like the United States, they all bought in to the fact that the vaccine would get us back. To, I know that when I went to the Westchester Civic Center to get my first vaccine along with my wife and my three children, uh, um, I got it first before my kids got it. Uh, but my thinking at the time, I wasn't thinking it was going to necessarily save my life because I'm, you know, knock on wood, relatively healthy and um, don't have any other conditions. But what I thought was, okay, the government is saying that we should do this. We should do this to get back to some sense of normalcy. Do you think if it was put out earlier, or, or did, did they know that it wasn't going to work in the way that they promised it would, as just as a vaccine that you can't get it anymore? Or do you, do you think they knew that, or they, and they just pulled the wool over our eyes? That's what I want to get well, at. Well, you ask a very, yeah, you ask a very important question at the end, because Dr. Deborah Burks, who was on the initial COVID task force at the top level under the Trump administration. Right. Um, and, and I think it's also important for your listeners to know, I was very critical of mandatory masking of shutdowns when it was the Trump administration too. So right. I am not a, a blind partisan on this issue. In fact, I had a meeting with then president Trump in May of 2020 in the Oval Office, just the two of us where I basically was, hammering this, pounding the table saying, sir, this is crazy. Like what, what the purpose of lockdowns were all sold under a premise that it would give us more hospital capacity building time. And then it just got turned into, well, actually we're just going to reduce the spread of the virus until the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And, and that was just crazy. That's actually, that, that was never going to work as a, as a concept as a principle, but there was a lot of fear, a lot of politics. Anyway, to your question though, about did they know Dr. Burke says, she just said recently, and this was on TV and I could find it, that she knew that it wasn't going to stop infection and spread and that they overplayed their hand with that. Mm -hmm. Now, if we had people that were more honest about getting to the bottom of this in the media, I think they would push on that quite a bit more and find out, is that just a boast to sell her book? You know, she's got a book out now. Right. Or is that the reality? We did have a paradigm to prepare us for what the COVID regimen should look like going forward like what should our approach be and it is think of it like a really bad flu season effectively you do want to stay away from sick people if you're at risk you get the shot it's worth it for you even with the side effect profile most likely to get the shot um if you're at in the higher risk categories we knew from the very beginning that uh people who are 
it's really over 65. And then on top of that, people who are substantially overweight are at a astronomically higher risk from serious COVID uh, cases, hospitalization, and even death than people who are under, you know, under 65 and, and in better health. So instead of focusing it, and I think in a more, um, a more realistic fashion, we just had the most sweeping mandates imaginable. And I, I started on, on my radio show with Clay last summer, we started uh, looking at the data in Israel and the UK, which now Dr. Fauci cites regularly. He says, oh, the Israeli data. The Israeli data last summer was showing, and this is the part of it that I don't think they anticipated, that the window of protection with whatever version of the shot you get is small. It doesn't last very long. Hence the now two rounds of boosters. Joe Biden just got sick. He's on shot four. The reason they're having to do these boosters is because the antibody production goes up, which does protect you for a bit. So if you're somebody who's at high risk, there are some benefits of that. But it probably lasts about three months. I mean, based, you know, there, there are mm-hmm. some. And by the way, it's not going to be the same. People will say, well, how can you not know? Well, it depends on the person, right? Depends on your immune system. But it doesn't last very long. Um, but as a means of everyone, I can say this, everyone that I know in New York city where I live who got vaccinated, right. uh, got COVID, including, including yours truly. I mean, I got it, I got yeah. it early on in, in March of 2020. I was one of the sort of first people to get it. Um, so I was in my basement for, you know, I was there for two weeks and then I, I tested negative. So I'll stay another week. Oh, we're not really sure how long it can be. And you're just, oh, you know, I ended up staying there a month. Then I got it again after being, um, you know, getting two shots. And then I got the booster and I actually started feeling sick right after I got the, this was in de- right before Christmas in December, I got the booster and the flu shot at the same time. I went to the Bronx. I couldn't get it anywhere um, where I live in Bronxville in Westchester County, went to uh, the Bronx and I said, I'll get the flu shot. And cause my wife's like, you got to get the flu shot too. I'm like, okay. So I get the flu shot and the booster. I start feeling sick. I figure it's just because of the shot. Um, and then we we all get tested to to spend the get together with the, all the family, my brothers and their kids. Anyway, I'm the only one I test positive. The day, Christmas Eve day. Take this moment to remind you about Nella by Fitbiomics. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, this probiotic and what it's been doing for me. I've been taking it now for a couple of months. The gut fitness connection. You need a healthy gut. You want to be healthy. You want to stay fit. Uh, Nella is an unbelievable uh, advantage that you need to take. You got to do it. It helps you sleep, helps you work out, helps you feel better. Gut health is, we know, so important to optimal health, athletic performance. You know, my athletic performance, you know, not quite what it used to be at 56, but I give it a shot. I've been hitting the gym here in SW19 in London, enjoying it very much. So check it out, Nella by Fitbiomics. You can go to their website anytime and check it out. They do an unbelievable job. It's www.nella.fitbiomics.com to get your gut health to defy your own limits. So let me ask you this, though, because you said you sat with the president at the time, President Trump, in his office. So you were you were saying that we should wear masks or we shouldn't? Because my my question, I'm not disagreeing with anything you've said. It makes it makes a lot of sense to me. My question is, what should we have done initially? So yeah, I was I was opposed to masking, um, okay. which I have now. I think by 
a series of events that I could point to, whether it's the demands for double masking or the demands for N95 masking or the claim that Omicron is so, so, so much more infectious than Delta, which was more infectious than the variant before that. Um, masks have been very, it's obvious this is a highly ineffective mechanism of protecting oneself or, or controlling the virus in the aggregate. And there are two levels of that. On the one hand, there's the inherent issue of, of the mask as a physical structure to block aerosolized virus. Remember in the early days, you know, and I, I essentially gave everyone a pass on the first 60 days. I was, cause I was wearing gloves. Yep. I was watching the Cuomo press conferences. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, if I touch anything, if I touch my eye, I'm not just believing stuff. But then we started to get more and more data. And what happened was that this tidal wave of, I think, fear and anxiety just completely overwhelmed a lot of people's ability to look at what the actual data showed. I mean, the best example of this would have been with schools. And by May of 2020, it was clear that schools, as it pertains to the safety of children, should have never been closed. There was no reason to close schools. Children are at a de minimis risk from COVID uh, uh, lethality or, or even hospitalization. But wasn't it coming? But, wasn't it? Wasn't it coming a lot from the teachers and the adults that are in schools? That were yeah, worried if they, they get they, it. You know, they were not worried so much about our, our kids getting it, but our kids transmitting it to people that would then end up in the hospital and then die. Oh, there were a lot of people. I mean, you go around the streets of New York City now. A lot of people mask up their kids, and they're not masked up as adults. Mm-hmm. And their kids have been vaccinated even recently. No, there were a lot of people who were terrified uh, of their children getting COVID. Uh, this was, you know, widespread. That's why, remember, um, uh, they had the people praising the ma- the availability of vaccines for their under five-year-olds because they're so scared of them. By the way, 75%, they, the problem is people don't, have, there's a lot of factors here and a lot of, of data points to take into consideration and 75% of the country overall, the CDC estimates, has already had COVID. So let's just start with 75% of every human being in America at this point has at least had COVID once, whether it was any symptomatic case or whatever. And I think, honestly, the number is probably a little higher than that. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to children, they basically all had. I mean, they've already all gotten COVID. So this notion that they're at such risk if they don't get the vaccine, I think, is just it's not a clear reading of, of the data. And you're asking, you know, if I was if I was opposed to things early on. So again, to be fair, I'd say the 60 day window. We saw the stuff out of northern Italy, what was going on, or Italy in general. Uh, you know, March of 2020, it seemed really scary, and people were were understandably super concerned. And it is a very dangerous virus. It was killing a lot of people, and and all of that is true. But in terms of actual mitigation, um, you, when you look at masks, I brought up, for example, the structural, which. They always say, for example, wear the highest quality mask you can tolerate now. Right. The well, better, that's their the way better, of saying, the, yeah, the better the mask, the better the chance that you can you can be protected from it. I mean, that that's right. But I mean, that's another way of saying that cloth masks are are a joke, effectively. I mean, cloth masks are this is this is uh, this is the you cannot even prove a statistical benefit of cloth masks anywhere throughout the pandemic actually having the intended effect. And even with N95 masks, then I transfer because they'll say, well, what about this laboratory? They always point to laboratory studies. And I always point to, okay, look at counties side by side with mask mandates and counties that don't have mask mandates and see what the spread looks like. The curves look exactly the same because people don't wear N95 masks properly or all the time. And once you've been infected, you're another person in the chain of transmission. All the N95 wearing you did, you know, the two months, let's say, of masking up and then you get COVID. 
and you probably had it asymptomatically for a day or two before you even know you get it. So you probably spread it to another person or two without even knowing it. None of that mattered before. This is what people don't think through, meaning the real world usage of masking is very different from a laboratory setting where they're using a spray bottle and trying to guesstimate the droplets and everything else. Right. Of course, if you have a tightly fitted N95 mask in a clinical setting, there and the studies have shown, they think it's maybe a 20 or 30% reduction, at least the, the real studies that I've seen. People who think that masking up between bites on an airplane, by the way, airplanes, as we've found out later on, even from the airplane CEOs, among the safest places from COVID because of the circulation. The, uh, the filters. circulation. That's right. 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 That's right. So, you know, everyone was all freaked out on the plane. It, that was anxiety driven, not science driven. And, and so, you know, the, the reality I think here of the Novak Djokovic thing is there's a lot of people in the public health establishment at the federal level, the state level still, who really don't want to admit that they made people do things that were either irrelevant or even harmful. And so they're just holding on as long as they can. Preventing Novak Djokovic, from who's already had COVID. I know he already had a positive COVID test. So he has some degree of natural immunity on top of this. I mean, I've had COVID twice. Everyone's getting COVID. It's all over the place. The president just had it. This does nothing except set a, a lesson of compliance for people. They want people to comply or else. And, and I think that's a really bad precedent for medicine. I mean, I've never heard so many people uh, who have distrust, and I think rightfully have distrust in public, not in their own doctors. That's always different, right? The patient-doctor relationship. You know your doctor. Your doctor wants you to be healthy. But in public health officials, you know, these bureaucrats nobody had ever heard of before who are running, you know, health and sanitation in New York City or Los Angeles, nobody trusts these people anymore. At least you pay attention to the data. Isn't it a, uh, and I know you got to go, and I appreciate you giving me this time. Isn't it a number? No, I got five. I got five oh, more. Okay, go great. ahead. Go oh, ahead. Awesome. I mean, yeah. it feels like when you're looking at the decisions that are made by the by the government, by the local governments, and so on, that they they do have they look at the overall spread, and they and and to make to make such sweeping rules and regulations, you you have to go to the masses, right? I mean, you can't just say just do whatever you want when there's a global pandemic and they're and they're loading up you know dead bodies in Queens, you know, in the first couple of months of this thing, and and, and if they just said. I guess I'm still trying to get at what should have been done initially. Cause I, I don't, again, there's, there's been a lot of mistakes made and a lot of misinformation probably from both so sides. I, I think that, I think the greatest, I think the greatest um, single plan for it would have been the, uh, which has now basically been buried on the internet, but it was thousands of doctors and research scientists who came together with something called the great Barrington declaration uh, this was early on. I think it came out in either June or July of 2020. And again, I, I, as I've said, the first two or three, the first two months, it's, you know, felt like a war. No one knew what the hell was going on. Mm -hmm. But when you have the two months of what is this thing doing in America? Who is this really hurting? Who is this going after? Uh, another part of this, by the way, that does not get talked about. And if you have some doctors in your audience, they, they will, they, they reach out on this. It is true. And no one wants to talk about it. The throw people on ventilators because we don't know what else to do plan mm -hmm. made it far worse in New York City. That is now established. They should have had them. And, and people would say, well, you say should have. I understand we learned through some trial and error, but there were a lot of errors made. They put people on ventilators far too quickly. Your chance of coming off a ventilator was less than 50%. I mean, think about that. What kind of modality is that for trying to treat a disease? You're less than a coin flip. You're even going to survive this. The only person I know personally who died from COVID that I, that I knew was a friend of mine's father 
who was very rapidly put on a ventilator and never came off of it and had a horrible time. Ventilators actually, over a period of time, are, they will cause infection and they will cause infection in the lungs. They stretch out the lungs. There's a whole bunch of things that nobody's even talking about. But they said we needed a million ventilators at the government level, right? So they, they uh, made enormous... I, yeah, mis- I, I remember that when New York City was saying we got to get more, you know, when Cuomo was going on TV saying we need more ventilators and they were, they were, they were trying to buy them from other states. There was that whole saga going on. Yeah. They, they were killing people by putting them on ventilators mm. too early. That's actually the truth, which people don't like to talk about now. And I'm not saying it was done maliciously, but that is actually what, when people look at the after action, look at what New York um, saw in the data. So you're, you're asking what should have been done. By the summer of 2020, it was clear, because we had enough data, that it should have been, we go back to normal life with protections in place for those at risk in the elderly. And you say protections, that's going to mean that you're going to have testing at nursing homes. You're going to have some hope that you can try to, to, uh, to protect the most at-risk and vulnerable populations. But to keep in mind, we did all this stuff that people wanted to do, and the virus ripped through nursing homes all over the country, right? I mean, so the, the, the problem with the, well, what should we have done, is that we did everything that they could think of, and it didn't do anything to help. Um, the Great Barrington Declaration talked about focused protection, which would have meant looking for those who are at high risk, and saying, what can we do? Put all of our resources into this. Put all of our resources into your 65 and up, your emphysema, whatever the case may be. How do we try to keep you safe and get you the vaccines as quickly as possible? That, that I, I would have been all on board for. Mm-hmm. Um, they shut that, they shut that down. The Fauci's of the world treated the great Barrington folks, uh, like they were engaged in quackery, uh, like they were a danger to public health. The social media company shut them down. Uh, and, and I mean, I can just speak firsthand from, Seeing the way that the suppression of free and open discussion debate around COVID did nothing but make things worse. It was always, oh, the vaccine deniers, people are going to, they're telling you to take, um, what was the, uh, you know, fish tank cleaner as a, you know, there's all this stuff that was being said. And that was used to shout down the people who were saying, hold on a second. We, we do know some things here. We do know how to, how to handle a bad flu season. We do know the reality of aerosolized virus. And, you know, this is because people still won't face up to it. That's why, you know, Joker's not going to be playing at the Open, my man. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, so. well, well I, we started with that and we will end with that. And uh, it has been a true pleasure to have you on, Mr. Buck Sexton, everyone, co-host of Clay and Buck Nationwide, 12 to 3 Eastern Time on iHeartRadio. He's got his own TV show. What, when's your TV show on, by the way? Is that a daily show? That's yeah, that's uh, on the first TV. I come, I'm on right before uh, Bill O'Reilly, who I'm sure many of your yep. audience are familiar with. Um, and that's on at seven at seven Eastern on the first TV, which is an app. It's streaming, it's digital. So that's uh, we do we do a show there. We gotta get. Oh no, I was gonna say we gotta get wrong, but we can't because you're you're a big CNN man now. Yeah, well, I can't. Well, I can't. Listen, I've been doing a little Newsmax too. So I've been on Newsmax uh, oh, okay. quite a bit lately. So I do a little mix with Newsmax and CNN. So I, you know, so I, I'm gonna I, get you I, to come on the Clay and Buck show because you know Clay anytime. Travis, big sports yes. guy, my co-host. So we're gonna yep. make this happen, and and we'll talk about the Joker thing. Uh, on about 450 radio stations. Sound good? I love it. And I appreciate you doing this. You're a true pro. And I look forward to getting you on at the McEnroe Tennis Academy. to get. We're going to get you to a four or five, okay, before we're done. Oh, man. You tell me when and where. I'll be there, buddy. <laughs> All right. Buck Sexton, Thanks, everyone, buddy. here on Holding Court. Thanks Take so care. much. You got it. Bye-bye. 